Part two, chapter one of the Uttermost Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. The Uttermost Star and Other Gleams of Fancy by Frank W. Borum. Part two, chapter one. Drifting apart. We were sitting on the cliffs at Beechington, reading. At least we were coquetting with our books, for one's attention is always divided under such conditions between the volume on his knee and the broad expanse of blue water that stretches out before him. In the distance we could see the heads. All at once a fine steamer crept out from between the great rugged promontories and put out to sea. To our surprise, it was followed almost immediately by another. It may have been owing to the light and the atmospheric conditions, but from where we sat the two ships looked as much alike as two peas in a pod. Indeed, one could almost imagine that he was gazing upon a mirage, and that the one was really but a reflection of the other one behind the other the two vessels crept along the skyline as though one had the other in tow then came the change one swerved slightly to port and the other slightly to starboard we turned once more to our books and when we looked up again the alteration was almost incredible the one ship having come nearer looked immensely larger the other was a mere speck on the horizon the one was still in the sunshine, the other was shaded by a passing cloud. The two appeared to have nothing in common. It seemed impossible that half an hour ago they had been so near together and looked so much alike. Here, surely, was an allegory. I was gazing at a picture of one of the things that drift apart. One. I thought of Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot journeyed together all the way from the Persian Gulf to Palestine, from Palestine to the pyramids, and were on their way to Palestine again. Then they drifted apart. There was strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I will go to the right, and if thou wilt take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Anybody who afterwards saw Abraham with his tent pitched, his altar built, on the plains of Mamre, and Lot with his tent pitched towards Sodom, and with no altar at all, would never have dreamed that once upon a time they journeyed so closely together, and seemed so much alike. I thought of this story, I say, as I watched the two ships from the cliffs at Beechington. Two there is an essential difference between two and a pair a sovereign and a sixpenny bit are two the fox and the goose are two the hare and the tortoise are two 
you cannot arrange these in pairs christian and pliable are two they go side by side but all eternity lies between them christian and faithful on the other hand are a pair they may be torn from each other's embrace but all eternity cannot really separate them john and judas are two david and jonathan are a pair proximity is no indication of affinity more than a century ago two men voyaged together round the coast of scotland anybody looking at them from the shore would have supposed that they were a pair they were nothing of the kind they were two one was robert stevenson engineer to the board of northern lighthouses the other was sir walter scott but although they share the same boat they have scarcely anything in common scott loves the fair weather stevenson the fowl scott likes to get ashore wander up over the hills inspect some crumbling old ruin get among the gossips of the countryside and gather up those quaint old legends and stirring traditions that he will afterwards weave into his great romances stevenson on the other hand is thinking not of the past but of the future his eye is not on castles that have been but on lighthouses yet to be he loves to see the ocean in a fury so that he may detect the points of real peril he spends his time in taking soundings climbing about on the precipitous rocks and jagged reefs and getting drenched to the skin in the boiling surf he is only concerned with the discovery of suitable sites for his lighthouses they are not a pair they are two a pair is a single entity its constituents are indivisible but two are two two separate entities thrown together only to drift apart again if they are a pair all the oceans of the world may roll between them they are united still but if as in the case of abraham and lot christian and pliable judas and john stevenson and scott they are two there is no union it is mere proximity you may bind men together by the most awful deeds and instruments that the law can devise you may commit them to each other by the most solemn oaths and covenants you may bring to bear upon them the most sacred rites and ceremonies but it is all futile they are not mated proximity is not affinity they are still two they are not a pair three no one who has experienced the torture of physical separation the separation affected by mere distance would say a word to belittle its inexpressible anguish you have only to stand upon the platform when the boat train leaves or to take your place upon the wharf when the great ship is swinging out to sea in order to witness one of the most poignant and passionate manifestations of human sorrow and those who so far from being onlookers have actually experienced that terrible ordeal know that it is the concentration of heartbreak and the climax of mortal agony as the fluttering handkerchiefs become small as snowflakes and then vanish altogether as the fond familiar faces become less and less distinguishable until at last they are lost in the crowd as the horrid chasm slowly widens between the vessel and the quay the soul feels itself to have been caught in the pitiless grip of heartless forces that are crushing the very lifeblood out of it 
at the moment it is even more painful than death death comes so gently and so naturally and for a moment or two the dead still seem so near that it takes a while to realize that the fond ties have been finally and irrevocably snapped but this other wrench is so unnatural and so violent the bitterness of death does not reach its culmination in the act and article of death but this grief reaches its climax all in a moment and during that moment the soul writhes in torture indescribable and yet knowing this and having experienced it i say deliberately that of all forms of separation this form is in reality the least intolerable four at this point alfred tennyson becomes our best and wisest teacher in memoriam is the classic of two great souls whose history resembled the history of my two steamers for a while they journeyed together and were twin then their ways suddenly diverged hallam was called to the higher service tennyson found himself continuing on the old course and contemplating the separation the poet lets his fancy play about the various kinds of separation by which one soul may be torn from another there is for example the social cleavage here are two ploughboys working together on the farm they labor side by side and are as much alike as my two steamers but one is content to be a ploughboy the other is fired by a great ambition tennyson describes this second youth as one who breaks his birth's invidious bar and grasps the skirts of happy chance and breasts the blows of circumstance and grapples with his evil star who makes by force his merit known and lives to clutch the golden keys to mould a mighty state's decrees and shape the whisper of the throne and moving up from higher to higher becomes on fortune's crowning slope the pillar of a people's hope the center of a world's desire but what about the other ploughboy that earliest mate with whom he trudged side by side along the rutted country lanes in the days of old lang syne he ploughs with pain his native lee and reaps the labor of his hands or in the furrow musing stands does my old friend remember me tennyson gazes upon this picture that his fancy has conjured up the picture of the ploughman and the prime minister and he compares the separation thus effected with the separation that has snatched his old friend hallam from his side is hallam like the prime minister moving now along some more exalted plane and is he himself like the ploughman leaning on the handles of his plough and wondering if sometimes his old friend thinks fondly of him still here then is the social cleavage it is trying enough but it is not the worst five for almost instantly another picture flashes upon the white screen of the poet's fancy a bride and a bridegroom these two they dwelt with eye on eye their hearts of old have beat in tune their meetings made december june their every parting was to die then he devotes himself to study he must needs excel he sits apart lost in his researches he seems to slight her simple heart 
he threads the labyrinth of the mind he reads the secret of the star he seems so near and yet so far he looks so cold she thinks him kind she keeps the gift of years before a withered violet is her bliss she knows not what his greatness is for that for all she loves him more for him she plays to him she sings of early faith and plighted vows she knows but matters of the house and he he knows a thousand things her faith is fixed and cannot move she darkly feels him great and wise she dwells on him with faithful eyes i cannot understand i love and again tennyson thinks of his old friend is hallam like the studious bridegroom has he lost himself in diviner contemplations and gradually grown away from the sweet old simplicities of long ago and is he himself like the lonely wife gazing on her learned husband clinging still but failing to understand the social cleavage is bad and the intellectual cleavage is worse but there is something still more terrible what about abraham and lot what about judas and john is not the climax of tragedy reached when two friends walk familiarly together seek every day each other's society and perhaps go up to the house of god in company and then one like abraham becomes every day a little finer a little nobler a little more considerate a little more courteous a little more unselfish whilst the other becomes every day a little more self-centred a little less chivalrous a little less thoughtful a little more coarse a little more materialistic a little more sensual until at last like my two steamers nobody would ever suspect that they once journeyed so familiarly together and seemed so much alike here then you have these five forms of human separation these five ways in which our human partnerships may to all outward appearances be dissolved these five methods of drifting apart there is the cleavage affected by distance the parting on the railway platform the farewell at the wharf there is the cleavage affected by death arthur hallam and alfred tennyson there is the social cleavage the ploughboy who becomes prime minister and the ploughboy who remains at his lonely furrow there is the intellectual cleavage the simple housewife and her studious husband there is the moral cleavage abraham and lot john and judas these five and although i have said that of them all the parting on the pier is the most bitter at the moment yet those who are called to return with swollen eyes to their saddened homes may there fall upon their knees and give humble and hearty thanks to heaven that to them has been meted out this form of separation this and no other seven poor old uncle tom may have been done almost to death by simon legree the vicious slave dealer he lay in the shed dying his back all torn and lacerated by the cruel lashes all through the night there stole stealthily to his side the other slaves on the plantation poor creatures who crept in to see the last of him to bathe his wounds to ask his pardon or to kneel in prayer beside his tortured frame with the morning light came george shelby his old master to redeem him is it possible is it possible 
he exclaimed kneeling down by the old slave uncle tom my poor poor old friend but uncle tom was too far gone he only murmured faintly to himself jesus can make a dying bed feel soft as downy pillows are you shan't die you mustn't die nor think of it i've come to buy you and take you home cried george with impetuous vehemence oh master george you're too late the lord's bought me and is going to take me home and i long to go heaven is better than old kentuck at this moment the sudden flush of strength which the joy of meeting his young master had infused into the dying man gave way a sudden sinking fell upon him he closed his eyes and that mysterious and sublime change passed over his face that told the approach of other worlds he began to draw his breath with long deep inspirations and his broad chest rose and fell heavily the expression of his face was that of a conqueror who he whispered who 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 shall separate us from the love of christ and fell asleep all the five forms of cleavage that i have tabulated had done their worst for uncle tom he had been torn away from the old kentucky home snatched from the arms of old aunt chloe sold away from children and kindred separated from everything that he counted precious and yet and yet there was one heart from which nothing could separate him one love from which he could never never drift end of part two chapter one recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interface audio dot com